Hello everyone, welcome back to the Encyclopedia of Fairies. We're now on actual fairs. Fairs in English is another term for carnival, basically. They're more or less the same. The good people are known to attend human fairs, and also to have fairs of their own. Fairs held by fairies seem to be much in line with their human counterparts. There's an account, and it comes from Keatley's Fairy Mythology. It's typical in most points. One time, about 50 years since, a person living at Com Saint Nicolas, a parish lying on one side of that hill near Chard, was riding towards his home that way and saw, just before him, on the side of the hill, a great company of people that seemed to him like country folks assembled at a fair. There were all sorts of commodities. To his appearance, as at our ordinary fairs, pewterers, shoemakers, peddlers, all kinds of trinkets, fruit and drinking booths. He could not remember anything which he had usually seen at fairs, but what he saw there. It was once in his thoughts that it might be some fair for Chestonford, there being a considerable one at the time of the year. But then again, he considered that it was not the season for it. He was under very great surprise, and admired what the meaning of what he saw should be. At length it came to his mind what he had heard concerning the fairies on the side of that hill, and it being near the road he was to take. He resolved to ride in amongst them and see what they were. Accordingly, he put his horse that way, and though... He saw them perfectly, all along as he come. Yet, when he was upon the place, where all this had appeared to him, he could discern nothing at all, only seemed to be crowded and thrust, as when one passes through a throng of people. All the rest became invisible to him until he came to a little distance, and then it appeared to him again as at first. He found himself in pain, and so hastened home, where, being arrived, lameness seized him all on one side, which continued on him as long as he lived, which was many years, for he was living in Combe, and gave an account to any that inquired of this accident for more than twenty years afterwards, and this relation I had from a person of known honour, who had it from the man himself. That's in 1850. A few exceptions can be found, however, with fairs that are overtly dangerous to humans. The Goblin Market, described in detail in a poem by Rossetti, is a good example of what we know as fairies' fairs, I guess. And then we come to the term fairy. It's not what you think it means. When everybody thinks fairy, they see a little being with wings, right? It's not so. It's not even a single being. Term fairy is complicated. It's obscure origin. It was originally used to describe the other world itself. The world of fairy. It's not an adjective for beings from that world or a type of enchantment. The oldest form is French fay, denoting a being connected to fate. Then it evolved into English fay erie indicating enchantment. 
Only later would the word shift to indicate an individual being rather than a place or a type of magic. In this sense, it's strongly reminiscent of the Irish term sihi, which in the same way is a word indicating a place used as an objective, but later shifted to indicate the individual beings. Now it is applied in general term for all other worldly beings, as to many different groups, including elves, deon sihi, Tilftag. The word's always been amorphous application that included a range of beings and was equated to other terms like elf or goblin, which also had vague connotations. There are multiple accounts across a variety of sources which gloss fairy with elf, goblin and imp, which is true, it's interchangeable. The problem is, is that, actually, it was never a single word. By some modern accounts, the word fairy offends them, and euphemisms should be used instead. Why this word, word would offend them may seem less clear to us today, because we know that it's not really a name for them, but rather for an actual realm, or some sort of magic. You know, it's not termed at them as being, oh, that is a fairy. A fairy's meaning it later changed to be an individual being, to be a being. But it was never meant to be that. That's not what it was. The word fairy was otherworldly. Enchanted people. That's all it meant. It's just that it got uh, changed through time into something that it's never meant to be. And so the word fairy, as it stands, is actually otherworldly. And enchanting people, not a Tinkerbell. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the fairies and many blessings. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Encyclopedia of the Fairies. When I want F or on the fairy oak of Corrie Water. It's a later ballad that tells of a woman's attempt to rescue her brother from fairy captivity. Unlike Janet in the ballad of Tam Lin, in this case the young woman is notably unsuccessful. The ballad includes a variety of important pieces of fairy lore and gives a fair description of the fairy's temperament. The small bird's head is under its wing. The deep sleeps on the grass. The moon comes out and the stars shine down. The dew gleams like the glass. There is no sound in the world so wide, save the sound of the smitten brass, with the merry sittern and the pipe of the fairies as they pass. But oh, the fire must burn and a burn, and the hour is gone and will never return. The green hill cleaves and forth with a band comes elf and elf and steed. The moon dives down in a golden cloud. The star grows dim with dread, but a light is running along the earth. So of heavens they have no need. Over moon and moss with a shout they pass, and the word is spur and speed. For the fire must burn, and I must quake, and the hour is gone that will never come back. And when they came to Craigie Burnwood, the Queen of Fairies spoke, Come, 
bind your steeds to the rushes so green, and dance by the haunted hook. I found the acorn on Hessian Hill, in the nook of a palmer's poke. A thousand years since, here it grows, and they danced till the greenwood shook. But oh, the fire, the burning fire, the longer it burns, it but blazes the higher. I have won me a youth, the elf queen said, the fairest that earth may see. This night I have won young elf Elving, my cupbearer to be. His service lasts but for seven sweet years, and his wage is a kiss on mine. And merrily, merrily laugh the wild elves round Corrie's greenwood tree. But oh, the fiery glows in my brain, and the hour is gone and comes not again. The queen she has whispered a secret word, come ever, my elfin sweet, and bring that cup of the charmed wine. Your lips and mine to wet, but a brown elf shouted aloud, loud shout, come, leap on your courses fleet, for here comes the smell of some baptised flesh, and the sounding of baptised feet. But oh, the fire that burns, and must burn, for the time that is gone will never return, on a steed as white as a new milked milk. The elf queen leaped with a bound, a young elf in a steed like December snow. Neath him at the word is found, but a maiden come in her christened arms. She linked her brother round and called on God, and the steed with a snort sank into the gaping ground. But the fire must burn, and I must quake, and the time that is gone will no more come back. And she held her brother, and lo, he grew, a wild bull waked in ire. And she held her brother, and lo, he changed to a river roaring higher. And she held her brother, and he became a flood of raging fire. She shrieked and sang, and the wild elves laughed, till the mountains rang in mire. But oh, the fire yet burns in my brain, and the hour is gone, and comes not again. O oh maiden, why waxed your faith so faint, your spirit so slack and slow, your courage kept good till the flame waxed wild, then your weight began to fall. Had you kissed him from among us all, now bless the fire, the elfin fire, that made you faint and fall, now bless the fire, the elfin fire, the longer it burns, it blazes higher. Douglas, 1901. And yeah, that's pretty much how ballads were told back then um, <laughs> regarding fairies and such. The Fairy Queen, and the Queen is spelt Q-U-E-E-N-E. -E. It's an epic poem written by Edmund Spencer and published starting in 1590. The Fairy Queen is a tale of Arthur and his knights and a variety of adventures and quests they go on, including their interactions with the fairy realm and the fairy queen, Gloriana, who is a literary invention of Spencer's. The poem is largely allegorical and possibly intended to reflect the real-world politics of the time 
with Gloriana acting as a stand-in for Queen Elizabeth and the fairy for Elizabethan England. So yeah, it's very, very, very old uh, tales of King Arthur, I suppose. But it does add the fairy queen. The fairy queen in King Arthur's tales is false. It's a work of fiction, not of fact, though there is many tales of Arthur and such alike, but that one in particular is fiction. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Fairies and many blessings. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Encyclopedia of Fairies. We're now on fairy courts and again, when we say fairy courts, it's hard to not think of Tinkerbell, I know. Everybody isn't fairy with Tinkerbell, but... The fairy courts is just a word for a number of beings, not just one being. It's various beings. And basically the fairy courts are more complicated than one might think. The reason they are given the sealy and the unsealy name is because it was just a way that we could then interpret good from bad. It's very, very simple. I mean, the courts of the fairies are very similar to the British courts, monarchy, you know, they have king or queen or both, but they have everything in them, all the way down to servants, you know, and those who attend animals and crops. It's not about a very small group of fairies, it's about a very large group of beings, one being the sealy, the good ones, and the other being the unsealy, the bad because we're positive, there has to be negative and vice versa. So it's really hard to determine the courts, especially the fairy courts, because we're not looking at just a few beings and one particular being. We're looking at a whole cast of many different beings. So it's very complicated and it, it does work much like the courts that are in royalty. And, you know, there's lots of different people in those courts. There's lots of different beings in those courts, right from the bottom all the way to the top. So when we look at fairy courts, it's kind of hard not to sit and think, oh, king or queen, and then maybe a few nights. But it's not like that. It's very intricate and goes into really big detail. So just think of it more as a monarchy. A kingdom in itself, I suppose, working with many different beings where you get everything from the maids right to the workers to the king or the queen. That's where an actual fairy court is. And the sealy and unsealy, those names came in. The unsealy is meant to be bad and the seal is meant to be good. But that's just to defer good from evil, as there always is in many folklore and things. And then we have fairy doors. Fairy dolls are not as old as what you think. The origin of fairy dolls, it traces to Ann Arbor, Michigan, early 1990s. Although, they didn't start appearing in random public places until 2005. That is how recent fairy dolls are. Originally, the idea of the illustrator Jonathan Wright, the fairy dolls began as artwork. It should be noted though Wright did move on and he actually hosts his own website of urban fairies. He's a fairyologist. But the initial concept 
was aimed at children, created by Wright to delight and encourage belief in his wife's preschool students. One can now purchase them from a variety of special companies, as well as mass market catalogues. They also feature in work of different artists and can be seen in museums, public parks. Some fairy dolls open up to tiny rooms, rather like dolls' houses, and the implication is that these are where fairies live. Others are simply dolls placed against flat surfaces, kind of replicate a fairy doll. But you can see them in paintings. In fact, you can see them pretty much anywhere, fairy dolls, but they are fairly new. They are not an old folklore thing. They are of the 1990s. That, to me, is fairly recent. It's not something that's very old. Then we have fairy familiars. And among those people who are known to have regular contact with fairies, there are some who might be said to have a fairy familiar. Unlike the more well-known demonic familiar, the fairy familiar was not purely associated with witches, but with cunning folk, wise women, and some regular people who simply had a reputation for associating with fair folk. In some cases, a Leonatana Sihi might act as a fairy familiar. These familiars were fairy beings, often former humans, who had a connection to a living person and acted as a go-between for human and fairy beings more generally. A woman named Kete Rourke in Ireland had such a human turned fairy friend, a man who she had known when he was alive and who was thought to have drowned but would come to her among the fairies and give her advice. Also, Bessie Dunlop's fairy familiar was a fun mortal named Tom, who was a distant relative of Bessie's. In appearance, the fairy familiar would look like a human being, although they were noted to often wear green, and sometimes black or white. They were also seen by other people besides the person to whom they were attached. Although in some cases, such as Yeats, a friend of the fairies, there may be specific limitations on who else can see the actual fairy. These beings are described as tangible. They're able to give physical objects to humans and directly influence the human world. Those who saw and interacted with them did so, <coughs> in many instances, during the day while wide awake. So you couldn't say it was a dream. A person might gain a fairy familiar after being away with the fairies for a period of time, perhaps during an illness, or of such a, well, familiar given to them by a family member, or a more powerful fairy, such as the Queen. These spirits acted as go-betweens with the person and fairies, gave knowledge of healing skills and acted as guardians for the witch, in some cases granting the witch special powers of foresight, or a second sight. In some cases, they also acted to punish the human if the person transgressed against the will of the good people or offended them in some way. Yeats told of a woman he was acquainted with whose mother had a friend among the good people, a being who may be perhaps categorised as a fairy familiar. This fairy woman was seen by the girl who witnessed the fairy visiting her mother, but told Yeats that her, mother, her mother's fairy friend was never seen by any man, only women. It's unclear why this prohibition was in place, but the woman recounted how she had once tried to bring her father to see the fairy to prove the fairy woman existed, only to have her disappear before he could see her, and the fairy woman was quite angry at this attempt. 
that's from 1888. So yeah, fairy familiars don't always come in an animal form. They can come in spirits, basically. It's what That's what they're on about. They're on about human spirits. And that's why some people have the beliefs that there is us and then there is them. Us being the humans, them being everything else. You know, such as the aliens, the spirits, all fae. Just different types of fae, maybe in different categories. Obviously, then there's people that actually say, no, the human spirits. But there's a lot of belief that the fairies act as a human spirit. And they're just the go-between, between our world and their world, you know. So it is very possible there could be either of those things. It's one of those ideas where you just, you believe what you want. It's your choice, you know. Nobody can force you to believe anything. But do research because there's some interesting points to be made on that. Thank you for listening to this episode and many blessings. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Encyclopedia of the Fairies. We're now on Fairy Kings. They're less often found in folklore as anecdotes than fairy queens. There are some stories featuring fairy kings. There's a ballad, obviously, of Alice Brand, where we see a fairy king referenced. And the Scottish witch Isabel Gowdy also mentions a fairy king. Irish folklore mentions various named fairy kings, including Finnabera. But the queens are definitely more prevalent so fairy queens are referenced across all types of material as powerful figures and rulers in fairy in some accounts they have known first names while in others they are only referred to as the queen of elf land or fairy queen or as in the ballad of alison gross the queen of the seely court they may or may not have a king ruling with them and are known to take human lovers and to favour mortal witches. In ballad and anecdotal accounts, the fairy queen is described wearing a green and white dress, riding a white horse, being extremely beautiful, sometimes compared to or confused with the Christian queen of heaven. They are also powerful beings who can easily use their magic to influence the human world and people within it. When our on fairy raid, and that's a special type of procession. It's like a parade, a formal riding out of the good people, which was known to occur at certain times along specific fairy paths. In the ballad, or ballads, let's say, of Tam Lin and Alison Gross, we are told of the fairy raids that occurs in Samhain, while the fairy faith in Celtic countries mentions a nightly fairy procession near Tara in Ireland, that started just after night fell. Reverend Kirk mentions the quarter days, which in Scotland would have been February, 1st of May, 1st of August and 1st of November, as dates when the good people moved their homes, so travelling until doomsday. Being important of staying, being important of staying in one place, they had to find other places to ease by journeying, changing habitations 
an idea that is echoed several centuries later by the Scottish writer F. Marion McNeil in her book The Silver Bell. She also describes the fairies moving home on the quarter days by riding out in procession along fairy roads. Two 19th century Scottish sources note the presence of the fairy raid on Beltane, when the sounds of horses and riders could be heard on the pathways, although they might not always be visible. Another anecdotal account from the same time, Beltane describes the sound of hooves and bridles jangling before the parade of green-clad riders appeared. The fairy raid is not limited to these dates, however, and we see them riding out at other times as well. Noted above, one Scottish source from Barra mentions midnight as the time when the host rides out, when a person is in greater danger of meeting them. The fairy raid is described as both anecdotal accounts and ballads, as a very formal affair, with the fairies riding in order and segregated by rank. This is illustrated well in a version of the Ballad of Tam Lin. Then the first company that comes towards you is published King and Queen. The next company that comes towards you, it is Maidens Many Ones. The next company that comes towards you is Footmen, Grooms and Squires. The next company that comes towards you, it is nights, and I'll be there. 1802. So as you can see, a fairy raid, well, it has many, many people that involves maybe just a procession that are travelling somewhere, or maybe it's, I don't know, they're moving homes, moving locations. So there's just many different things regarding that anyway that's this part of fairy and i'm not going to go into fairy rings and i will explain why oh i did a very extensive research on fairy rings in my fairies through time and though it is still believed that some people will say a ring of mushrooms, actually, it's a scientific proven fact that those mushrooms grow like that from the rabbit droppings that are left behind when they are eating the grass and sort of going about in a circle. The fungus is grown via that, really. But um, there's still people that do suggest certain mushrooms growing in a ring is a fairy ring. I have other reasons that I don't believe that, and I tend to believe it's more like a crop circle, the fairy ring. But that's just my belief, my personal belief. It's not anybody else's as far as I'm aware. It might be some people's, I don't know. But I did do In Fairies Through Time, which is a playlist of my channel, which you can go to. I absolutely did a section on fairy rings and how they are naturally formed, meaning that fairies do not dance in a circle to create them. Though in mythology, some people still believe it. And it's a nice thing to believe, it's beautiful. But there is a natural reason for it also. Thank you for listening to this part of the Encyclopedia of Fairies and many blessings. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Encyclopedia of the Fairies. We're now on Fairy Trees. Fairies and trees have had a long 
connection in mythology and folklore. So let's take a brief look at a selection of trees that can be associated with fairy law. Obviously, it can be voluted, it can be convoluted as well, because the trees themselves were often reputed to have spirits. So, much like we might understand dryads in a more modern context, that beyond this spirit tree, or tree spirit, could also be home, or just associated with other fairies. Birch. In Scotland, it's particularly associated with the Gilydul, who was said to lurk in birch groves. It's a solitary fairy, gentle and helpful, but appearances often frightens people though. In Ireland, however, fairies are thought to dislike birch, which is used to drive out spirits and avoid. They avoid this tree at all costs, fairies and spirits. The oaks. Oaks have a strong association with spirits and fairies. Most notably, there is a kind of fairy called oakmen who live in the areas where oaks have been cut and are regrowing. They appear as short, solid-looking beings wearing red hats. They may be dangerous to those who try trespassing their woods. There is also the well-known rhyme of fairy folk or in old oaks. Not all oak fairies are dangerous, as one entry in the Din Shen Shaz discusses, discusses learning law from fairy folk in an oak wood. You just need to be careful because some are very dangerous, some are not. Rowan berries, by some accounts, are food of the Tuatha de Dianon, and by extension, some people see them as food of the fairies in general. Rowan is seen as both a protection against magic, but is also a conduit for magic. Appearing in folklore as a charm against fairy magic and witchcraft, but also in stories, we can see Rowan wands used to cast enchantments. Yeah, it's true. I have a Rowan wand, so it's true. Elm. A communal tree. It was believed if one elm was cut down, the others would die from grief. The spirits of the trees were so tightly bonded that the death of one would doom them all. Hawthorne. Strongly associated with good people, it is believed that it's unlucky to bring Hawthorne into a home. A lone Hawthorne growing in a field is often considered a fairy tree. It's dangerous, yes. Don't bring harm to the tree because they will definitely seek wrath. <laughs> it's an old custom to leave gifts for the other crowd at the base of a lone Hawthorne tree. Blackthorn is guarded by fairies. They're called Lunan Tishi, who punish anyone who tries to cut blackthorns on Samhain or Beltane. Going by the old dates, which would be November 11th or May the 11th. So, I guess it depends. Um, Blackthorn generally has a grim reputation. It's seen as a dangerous tree that should not be messed with. Although, like so many others, it also had protective qualities. Ash. Protection against fairies in folklore. The ash was used to reverse or treat maladies caused by fairies. These beliefs accorded the extra that the tree extra respect for it would be earned so that it should not be burned or messed with or harmed or even carved into. Some law relating that any who burn the ash 
would lose their home to fire. Some stories also mention a person's soul being trapped in an ash or otherwise placed in it by someone or some beings. It was said that willows walked at night and would follow people travelling alone. Their reputation was overall malevolent. This may connect the willow more general with water fairies who had a reputation for being dangerous. Like the water itself, I guess. <laughs> Lady Wilde suggests that willows speak in music. Elder. In England and Scotland, the elder is a protection against witchcraft and evil beings. It's said to be home to the fairies of good intent. In Scotland, the sap of the elder was believed to grant the ability to see Fairy Raid and Sam Hain, if the person then stood beneath an elder. In alternate folklore, elders are said to be shape-changing witches. Elders are another tree that is generally believed should never be burned, or ill luck will follow the person. In Ireland, the elder has a darker reputation, being associated with both ghosts, and seen as wood that invites fairy mischief. In Ireland and the Isle of Man, it's believed that fairies ride on elder twigs and branches. In Manx law, the elder is a fairy tree in its own right, and disturbing it can bring the same ill luck and harm to a person that we see with the thorn trees elsewhere. It's only a small selection of trees I know, but generally they are the important ones, because, as you know, there are many different trees, and they all have many different meanings to them, especially if you look at Celtic lore as well, because in Celtic lore there's a lot more meanings to the trees, but those are just a few selection. Also, it's believed that any thorn, you know, like uh, blackberry bushes and things like that, they are a realm into fairyland, if you manage to actually get through them, that is. Fairyology, that's a term dating back to Victorian era, a period which showed a note of fascination with fairies and folklore. Fairyology refers to the study of fairies from what was intended to be a more scientific basis and can be found in print as early as 1850s. For example, a pamphlet was published in 1859 titled A Few Fragments of Fairyology from the Connection with Natural History which tries to establish a tie between fairy phenomena and the natural world. <laughs> yeah, fairyology is really interesting. I'm actually not doing fairyology right now. I'm actually doing elfology or the elvenology, which is kind of different. But then again, all intermingles with the same, right? <laughs> Thank you for listening to this part of the fairies. Many blessings. Hello everyone, welcome back to my channel and the Encyclopedia of Fairies and All Things Fae. Farewell Rewards and Fairies. This is a poem written in the 16th century by a bishop, Richard Corbett. The text laments the lack of fairies in the world and attributes their loss on changing religion. The concept expressed reflects a wider theme seen across the centuries of the retreat of the fairies from this world. Farewell, rewards and fairies, good housewives, namese, 
For now foul sluts and dairies do fare as well as they. And though they sweep their hearths no less than maids were wont to do, yet who of late for cleanness finds sixpence in her shoe. Lament, lament, old abbeys, the fairies lost command. They did but change priest babies, but some have changed your land. And all your children sprung from thence, and now grown Puritans, who live as changelings ever since, for love of your demains at morning and at evening both you merry were and glad so little care of sleep or sloth these pretty ladies had when tom came home from labour or sis to milking rose then merrily went their tabor and nimbly went their toes Witness those rings and round delays of theirs which yet remain were footed in Queen Mary's days on many a grassy plain. But since of late Elizabeth and later James came in, they never danced on any heath as when the time hath been by which we note the fairies were of the old profession, their songs were Ave Maris, their dance were procession, but now, alas, they are all dead, or gone beyond the seas, or farther for religion fled, or else they take their ease, a tale in their company they never could endure, and whoso kept not secretly, their mirth was punished sure. It was just and Christian deed to pinch such black and blue, and how the commonwealth doth want such justices in you. And that's actually how um, they went back in the day, ballads, poems. They were very different to what they are now because they were kind of an old um, English language. Next we are on Fear the Erg, a fairy whose name means Red Man, plural Fear the Erg, who is described wearing red clothes and a red hat. Some sources say he is a giant, others that is human size, and others that he stands about two feet tall. Croc mentions that Fear the Erg has an unusual voice, voice which can sound like a variety of sounds, from waves to birds to angelic music. Yeats claims that he devotes all his time to tricks of a gruesome nature and puts him as part of the group and including the leprechaun and the clergyman. Crocker is somewhat kinder in his assessment, comparing the field the oak to the English puck or Robin Goodfellow and regulating his pranks to mischief. In contrast to these versions of the field the oak, there is another which appears in folklore named the Fiat the Erg, not for his clothes, but for his red hair. This Fiat the Erg is a human man who has been taken by the fairies as a captive 
and gives aid and useful advice to other captives, sometimes helping them to successfully escape while he remains trapped forever in fairy. 1976 Briggs very interesting indeed and when it says red air it obviously could just mean ginger air it does not have to mean red the fenodiri a manx fairy who is known to be helpful around farms generally beneficial to humans although somewhat wild the fenodiri would sleep among the sheep when it was cold as he shunned the use of clothing and was terribly offended by any offer of it. Like some other types of fairies, any gift or clothing would drive a fenodiri off, and the fairy would never be seen again. If a family were in his good graces, however, he might come out at night and help with the threshing while everyone slept. Like a brownie, I guess, that's what they're saying. A fetch. A concept in England that is rather obscure in nature, the fetch in folklore is a copy or duplicate of a person which appears as an ill omen, usually of death. Also called the wraith or double, the fetch would be seen by the living person or those who knew them, generally right before they died. In more recent material, the fetch has been given many of the qualities and the abilities of the fergier, Although in older folklore it is clear that the fetch, or wraith, was only viewed as a death omen. Reverend Kirk suggested, The wraith, or fetch, was a result of the soul beginning to leave the body shortly before death and being seen by others. <clears throat> it's also important to note that, though we may come to think that this could be also a doppelganger, it's not so. And the reason being is because this is more of a spectral image. Um, <clears throat> the belief of fae, like I say, fairy, means multiple beings. It even means spirits. So that's where you get the name from. The fact that we're not looking at fairy as one little being. We are looking at the actual meaning of the word, which is multiple beings from an other world or otherworldly magical beings. Therefore, that's why the spirit of another person would come into it and be given that particular name. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Fae. Please hit that like, share if you can, and do consider subscribing. It really helps the channel and it's completely free. Many blessings. Welcome back to my channel and the continuation of the Fae Folk. We are still on Earth and we're now on the Fidel. This is one of the Fuath. The Fidel may be a kind of fairy or a specific individual fairy. As there is a story that says the Fidel was killed by a human man, who she in turn killed before dying. A seductive being associated with lakes and seducing and drowning men. Though Mackenzie suggests that the Fidiel is the living embodiment of the bog grass and water reeds. The idea is certainly supported by a wider actions of seduction and drowning. 
So therefore she could be some sort of water fairy that dwells in reeds and lakes and such. The Finn Beera. Finn Beera is one of the kings of fairies in Ireland. It's also known as Finn Vara, Finn Vera as well. It's also known as Finn Behira and Finn Abar. His name may mean fair head in Old Irish. However, it suggests the name is oblique reference to a summit of the Noch or the Cairn found there. He is said to be the king of the fairies of Connacht, with his home at Noch in County Galway. McCullop suggests that his popularity in later folklore gave him the title of king of all fairies in Ireland, and also king of the dead. Finbera was originally one of the Tuatha de Danon, and he is mentioned as such in the Agalma, the Sianoch, and is also said to be a brother too, Wengus Mac Indo, and youngest son of Dagda, according to the Altram. His mother is not mentioned. In the Altram, he is called Finn Ba Mihirda, and he and Oengus get into a violent disagreement after he sparges one of the Oengus foster daughters while visiting his home. He's also sometimes said to be the rival of Don Firini, another fairy king. Of course, we don't know that, it's just a suggestion. He's generally described as a handsome man, sometimes said to dress in black. We can perhaps assume from his name that he is fair-haired. In one story he appears in a coach drawn by four white horses, and in another he's riding a black horse. A finnabera is a strong association with horses in general, and with horse racing in specific. And in one tale, he appeared to aid Lord Hackett by acting as jockey to his horse in a race, before just disappearing. He's apparently a merciful figure. He's well known for abducting people, but also for blessing those he favours. He heals sick women in exchange for food. He's known for rewarding blacksmiths brave enough to try to shoe his three-legged horse. He's known to appear to mortals and offer them aid of various kinds, but especially aid in horse racing, and then sometimes to invite him into his sea. These invitations may be a trap, maybe just a trap for people, but on other occasions a person would be a guest at a feast, often finding the other guests to be dead people they had known previously and would return safely to mortal earth the next day. The success of crops in Connacht are also thought, in folk belief, to rest on both Finnabera's presence in the area and his feather. In some folklore, the crops bloom when he and the fairies win at hurling against the fairies of rival provinces. In another anecdotal tale, the fairies of Ulster changed the fairies of Connacht, and the two met and fought as clouds in the sky, and it was thought that Finnabera won because there were no good crops in Connacht that year. Finnabera is an interesting figure in folklore and one who has a more complex history than sometimes appreciated in fairy lore. A member of the Tuatha de Dianon and also a fairy king, possibly also a ruler of the dead, known to abduct mortals but also aid them for little or even no recompense. 
He bridges the space between mythology and folklore found in myths from the 12th century and also in modern day folklore. Those who seek to better understand the way that the Tuatha de Dianon have merged with and affected our understanding of fairies can learn a lot by studying the stories of Finn the Bearers. A Finn folk is next. A particularly Orcadian type of fairy. Uh, Finn folk are sea fairies. Yes, they have the human form but can live easily underwater. Renowned for their magical skill, they sometimes travelled among humans of the Orkneys, and the female Finfolk even sought human husbands in an effort to escape marriage to the unattractive and foul-tempered Finmen, who would force them to work and earn silver. Like other types of fairies, Finfolk were said to live on a magical otherworldly island, to steal humans, and to be averse to Christianity. Which I guess is, well, that happens a lot, right? Christianity comes into it a lot. But it's important to note that we don't know if it's true or not. We're only assuming that it's true. As I've said before, there is much folklore and many speculation around the Fae and the different beings. So we cannot say that it's all fact and it's all precise. We just know that it's fairy law and folklore. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Fairies. Please hit the like, share if you can, and do consider subscribing. It's all free and it really helps the channel. Many blessings. Hello everyone, welcome back to the last episode of The F. Well, just the F actually, in our fairies, because after that we'll move on to G, but these are the last couple of ones in F. The Fuathan. Fuathan is a singular Fuath. They are a grouping of water spirits in Scotland. The word in Gaelic has several meanings, including hatred, aversion, spectre, but when the definitive, definitive article an is used, it is translated as the fairies. Carmichael describes the word fuath thusly. A spectre, a kelpie, demon, a water fiend. Frequenting glens, rivers and waterfalls. Campbell describes them as dangerous beings who seem to be a blend of fairies and ghosts. Many different kinds of fairies fall into the wider categories of the fuathan. And while they do have a strong water connection, it is fair to say that the term is often used the same way the word fairy is in English to encompass all otherworldly beings. They're generally described as fair-haired and human-like overall in form, but with some telling signs, such as webbed hands and feet, and tails or missing noses. They are often categorised as water fairies, to the point that several sources include Faclair, Big, gloss them as naiads. However, Campbell in the Gaelic Otherworld argues against this, saying that this view is based on one over-eager folklorist opinion based on a single story. Like some other fairies, Fuathan are averse to iron and do not like crossing fresh water. 
They can also be killed by light, according to some folklore, but not all. The Felge, a Norse concept, Felge, may be an independent protective spirit or project a part of the person's own soul. And when it is the person's own soul, it usually takes an animal form. It can follow family lines. And there are examples in North myth of this happening. Families who inherited through generations, they seem to be primarily attached to one individual, but would also aid family members. They're often compared to or equated to fetches, but they lack any sense of ill omen. In contrast, the Felge was viewed as positive and seen as both protector and look-bearing. It was common for a person's Felge to be of the opposite gender, although we should note that in tales this occurs most often with men having female. There's usually sexual elements or relationships, and they were not uncommon between men and women, especially the Felge women. They may mean follower or following, and they can act in decisive ways to aid the human they are connected to, providing knowledge as well as physical protection. Claude Le Coutou strongly connects the Norse concept of the Ferge to fairies, arguing that Celtic examples of fairy women who act as tutelary spirits and protectors of family lines, as well as those who attach themselves to individual humans are the same beings that the Norse would label the Ferges. They are referred to as spirit doubles, but not all the time. But they point out they do have many similar characteristics. So, it's basically like a guardian spirit or some sort of guardian that follows a family for generations. Um, not always. Some are only there for a short period of time and then they vanish. But as you can see, the more we go on, the more we learn that spirits in general do come under fairies. Because like I said, fairy is just a word for otherworldly beings. Not for a single being, but for many otherworldly beings, including spirits. That's why I always say there's us. And them, you know, because it doesn't mean just one thing. Thank you for listening to this part of the fairies. And we have now finished the F. When we come back, we'll be on the G's. Many blessings.